Like, hey, Justin, let me borrow your kid for the afternoon. (laughs) I want to see how he riles up my dog. Hello, I'm Justin. I'm Mark. We're the J-Pops. And we are attempting parenting in Japan. Today, we're going to talk about getting your pets ready for your newborn. But first, the updates. And, uh, you know, I've got an eight-week-old at the house now, but I'm going to throw the updates over to you, sir, because you've got a one-week-old who just moved in, so I think you've probably got a million updates to tell us. One week and uh, two-day-old right now, and uh, two nights in the house are complete. They went better than I expected. The first night, obviously, was terrible because we didn't know what we were doing. We didn't know how to adjust our sleeping arrangements and... You know, the the baby, he was like, what is this place? What is this bed? Who are these people? Yeah. His <laughs> like shirt's wrapped around his diaper. His diaper's around his head. It's just chaos. Oh, that you're not supposed to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so um, second day, second night went a lot smoother. So the first night was pretty terrible. I think we both, each of us maybe got three hours of sleep. The baby did most of the sleeping, but the second night... I think both of us are now at six hours, which is my norm. So I feel Mm -hmm. like I can function normally on that level. That's good. Six is healthy. That's a very healthy number to get to, especially in the first few weeks. And Mm -hmm. I wanted to point out that I've never been in your shoes. I've never had like a one week old baby with only two parents in the house because, of course, we went right to the in-laws. So for the first um well, one week in the hospital and then three weeks uh, outside of the hospital, we had the four-parent household going on. And then when the kid was a month, we we uh, slimmed it down to just the two of us when we moved into our house. But uh, yeah, I can't imagine sort of picking up everything on the fly in that first week and the first, first few days home and um, doing it without any other assistance. It's pretty crazy. It's an ongoing process for sure. I don't feel comfortable with any of it, but... As soon as like I picked them up from the hospital, I'd never had the experience of being instantly comfortable with a baby before. Like, you mm-hmm. know, you're always like seeing other people's babies and holding them and you're like, oh, they're so cute, whatever. But I don't think anybody's told me like when it's yours, that level of comfort and that instant like, I don't know what you would call it, but it's there and you just get it. Mm-hmm. The comfort thing is very interesting. I think. What I've noticed about that is when it's someone else's baby, you're just so afraid that you're not doing it the way that the parents want it to be done because they must mm-hmm. have their their methods and their sort of rules, even if they're not spoken out loud, but they have the way of doing things. And you just don't want to run afoul of it by holding them the wrong way or feeding them the wrong way or whatever. So then also the risk is so high and you would feel so guilty if you you know, caught his little arm and he started to cry and you'd be like, I'm sorry, never, never give this child to me again. But when it's your own kid, you're like, well, that happens, boy. And, you know, get used to it sort of a thing. So there's just the, like, for me, it's the dread of like messing with somebody else's situation. Uh, But then Mm -hmm. when it's your own, you feel like, well, this is my thing. And I know I'm operating by my own rules and uh, I know I'm doing what I think is best. So there's less like, I'm just fearing the judgment basically from somebody else. And then when it is your own, yeah, it's like you have that sense that, well, I'm doing it right. I am where I am, and I think I've got a handle on it. I think you can say that now after almost two months of Uh, baby in your life. I definitely don't have that. (laughs) I think for me, it's more just um, 
I don't know, like some deep seated connection. Mm-hmm. Like you just instantly know, like, oh, we're related. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. What about that first car ride? I suppose you drove the car and how far did you drive and were you freaked out or was that a normal car ride for you? It's a very normal car ride for me. It's the way I go to the grocery store every day and it's about 25 minutes via the not main highway, but main road through our town. It was Mm -hmm. fine. It was kind of midday and uh, we have a lot of trucks on these roads and the trucks are douchebags. Like Mm -hmm. they drive so bad. And so that was the only thing that was kind of like making me very cautious. Like if I saw a truck coming, I would be like way over away from the middle line. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'd be like, all right, this truck ain't coming anywhere near me. Yeah. (laughs) And I was pretty much doing exactly the speed limit the whole way home. Uh So there was a, there was a bit more caution in my driving for sure. I'm sure it'll get back to normal in the, in the coming weeks. (laughs) Yeah, that's good. You'll ramp it back up. Um, I was nervous about that drive because you've got the precious cargo and um, you really feel like you've, you're on high alert for a bunch of other things that are not driving. Like Mm. is that baby fine back there? And I've just met this new child and you know, now 30 minutes later I'm driving a car on the highway Mm. Uh, so there's a lot going on mentally. Was that the first kid you'd driven in a car? I have a much younger sister who was born after I had my driver's license. So I had a car seat in my car when I was about 17 or 18 years oh, old. Okay. And I would take her around. But it was so long ago that I think I might have forgotten. But maybe I have some like residual use to it <laughs> kind of feeling going mm. on. But uh, yeah, so I had had a little bit of experience, I guess, way in the past. But the big difference now is that I've got that Honda Freed. So (laughs) I was carefree. This episode brought to you by the Honda Freed. (laughs) I was zipping in and out of the lanes, um, just not paying attention at all. It was wonderful. I did have a lot better of a a feeling because I knew I was in a full-sized, heavier car. And Mm. I thought, you know, at the very least, if if one of these K cars slams into me, I might not even notice. So that's half the accident potential off your plate. But I did have to get onto sort of a major, not like a a toll road, not like a big highway, but a pretty major highway Mm. uh, to get to where I was going. And um, it was a little alarming. You know, you had to immediately get up to whatever, like 80 or 90 kilometers per hour. Yeah. uh, With the baby in the back, but uh, no big deal. Just keep it in the slow lane. I remember I was watching a movie once, and somebody was making fun of somebody for having a slow car. And then that person said, you know, if you're important enough, people will wait. And I always <laughs> thought that was such a badass line, <laughs> like to defend your slow car. Right. And ever since then, I've driven very slowly and <laughs> just hold the slow lane and not worry about what other people think. Yeah, I love driving slow, especially in Japan, where I think everybody drives too fast. Mm hmm. Like I love doing almost exactly like five or 10 over the speed limit, which sounds fast, but in Japan, that's incredibly slow where everybody does like 25 over the speed limit. Yeah. And you'll just get people on your butt and it's just great. It just feels great. (laughs) It's great. It's great to dictate (laughs) the terms on the road. (laughs) It's a good feeling. Because you know you're not in the wrong. You're already speeding. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, the sign says speed limit, buddy. And I'm That's already right. breaking. I mean, it doesn't say that in Japan. But theoretically, no. Well, yeah, that car ride. I was wondering if you were flipped out about that. It seems like you were even killed. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm fine. Just a little cautious about some stuff. Yeah. 
Are you feeding the baby as well? Are you doing the breastfeeding half the time, formula half the time? You're getting in there with the bottle? Yeah, I'd say every other feeding, we're kind of switching it up. It's going pretty well. It's hard to, it seems hard to get enough food for him with just breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. So it seems like you always have to. I think you guys are doing this too, where you start with like maybe breastfeeding and then you'll like supplement that feed with some additional formula. And so we've been doing that. Uh, Something that they say, it's the common wisdom, I guess, is that the formula sticks with the baby longer, that there's something Mm -hmm. that's a bit denser or heavier about the powdered formula. So if you only breastfeed the kid, then he'll be hungry again within two or three hours. But formula, you have a chance at four to five hours of the kid staying full. Um, Mm. So yeah, we do both. And then I think that formula helps him, you know, stay content for a bit longer. Mm. And not that it makes a difference to the baby. He could eat two or three hours. I mean, that's what babies were doing in nature for 99% of human history. But um, just for your own sake of, you know, needing to get things done, it's nice. Mm. Or needing to get an extra hour of sleep as compared to one less hour of sleep at a stretch. Uh, It's good to have the formula in him. Yeah, at night, we, at least last night, we primarily did formula at Mm -hmm. night and just a little breastfeeding and i think it helped him stay asleep longer there's something we've been contending with a little bit because he'll be two months tomorrow and what we've heard is that your breastfeeding production is sort Mm -hmm. of uh set where it's going to be by two months right so during the first two months uh depending on how often you breastfeed how much you breastfeed your body the you know the mother's body responds to that by producing more or less to meet the demand mm. and uh you want to basically breastfeed a lot uh if you do want to have a balance you want to do it in favor of breastfeeding for the first two months so that you can mm. be ensured that you know the mother's body can produce enough uh to you know continue meeting the demand in the future that makes sense in the last week, we've had our final push on breastfeeding. And actually, yesterday morning, we hmm. met with a midwife who, I guess, runs her own business kind of out of her house. It's like a house office hybrid, one of those buildings, That's and cool. uh, with a few parking spaces in the front. And uh, she does breastfeeding consultancy. So you can hmm. go in and she'll do a bit of a, a check to see how well she thinks you're producing, give you some advice about different techniques and Um, you know, check the flow, check the volume. So we did that yesterday and got some tips on breastfeeding. Uh, We did it specifically because we're in that final week push of, you know, trying to get the body to be responsive to it. So yeah, I think the first two months of breastfeeding, it's good to look into it, read up on it, talk to a midwife, talk to a doctor, you know, read your literature and Mm. uh, try to really make your plan because, um, after that two month point, there's, it's kind of, it's not really a point of no return, but it's getting close to a point of no return. If you wanted to change things in the future, it'd be quite difficult. Hmm. We'll see. Maybe, uh, maybe Moe, you'll have to get that information and check that out. I don't know what our plans are for the future beyond today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's another thing to add to your list of a hundred things to look into and try to figure for out. Sure. Yeah, so I don't know quite what to ask, but tell me something else about this first, the first, what is it, two days now that you've had him at the house. I mean, it's such a massive overhaul. Well, this might be getting a little too personal, but I didn't expect it. And so Mm -hmm. the first day when I brought him home, I was kind of like walking him around the house, just me and him hanging out. Mm -hmm. 
and I brought him in our office and just kind of sat down and he liked looking out the window because the sky was blue and it was really nice. So we were sitting there and then he just kind of stops and looks at me and then just gets this little smile on his face. And, and man, that just did me in. I actually started crying. Oh yeah. I was like, Oh my God, what the hell? Like I just didn't expect all that emotion to come rushing out like that. Yeah. I think that was, for me, like the most surprising thing that happened in the first couple days. Mm-hmm. That's excellent. Um, yeah, that's the thing that people talk about, I think. Of, yeah. Uh, you know, you look down at this little person and you realize, you know, <laughs> everything about nature and the universe, it all comes to a head. I don't, I don't understand that stuff still, but <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I got the connection with him. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's really touching. I had um, also this week kind of a, surprisingly emotional thing Hmm. um which was we did cherry blossom viewing that's the season right now uh where we live anyway we did cherry blossom viewing at a couple of different locations and at both places there were other couples who were you know one japanese parent and one western parent and then they'll have Hmm. an older kid and i think the kids that we saw like sort of the biracial or mixed kids or the half kids um they were ranging from say eight years old up to maybe 14 or 15 years old or something. Hmm. And uh, yeah, and we ran into, I think four kids in the last couple of days who were mixed kids. And then as I've said many times, I want my baby to get sort of passed around and to meet a lot of people. So mm-hmm. I told the kids, I was like, Hey, sit down on the blankets and um, everybody can hold the baby. And seeing another mixed kid, you know, say 11, 12 years old or whatever, hold the baby uh, it really like set in with me that our kid and that kid have so much in common um, mm. in terms of where they come from, more so than I can have with the kid or my wife can have with the kid. Because mm. when my wife explains things to him, it's the Japanese perspective. Or when I explain things to him, it's the foreigner's perspective in this country. But neither right. of us have the mixed kid perspective. And it's something that we'll never have. But then there are other kids out there who do have it. And I feel like at some point in the future, they're making these little kid connections right now. Mm-hmm. First time meeting each other, but then they will be friends because, you know, the parents are friends and that'll go on for years and years. And I feel like those kids are going to help my kid so much with some problem that he has or, you know, just having him feel included or, oh, here's another person that's like me, whereas everybody at my school is not like me or something. And, um, that was really, really touching to me to see the other kids like hold him and kind of welcome him into the mixed kid community. And just to know that, um, you know, he's not uh, isolated in like sort of who he is, that there are other examples of it for him to um, connect with out there. So uh, that didn't really strike me because before I thought, you know, my wife and I'll take care of him or, wow, he's a a mixed kid in this crazy Japanese world where there aren't very many mixed kids. But now I Mm -hmm. see, oh, there are other mixed kids and he knows them and they accept him and they like him. And now he's like in his, he started like that first step in his own community. So uh, that was really like, I would say near eyes welling up in Hmm. recognition of him being accepted into his own thing with like his people, you know? Yeah. And um, yeah, not full on bawling at the Hanami. I didn't excuse myself, (laughs) but uh, I definitely was touched by that. That's a good thing to to come to realize i haven't really thought much about that honestly Mm -hmm. living where i do we don't get a lot of mixed kid interactions so Mm -hmm. we'll have to come over to your side of the mountains and 
hang out more. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to, we've slated maybe a month from now after you guys are really settled in and uh, mm. Coda's into his routines and everything that we'll come up to your place and then we'll have not only mixed kid interaction, but kids that are basically the same age and then off to the races. That's the goal. <laughs> yeah, so that'll be good. That's all for me on updates. Do you have anything else you want to tack on there? No, no, I think that's about it. Uh, yesterday was... A sleep-deprived, emotional day, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm glad it's over. <laughs> <laughs> here, here. Yeah, I feel much better today, and things are looking up. Great. Without further ado, we can get into segment time. Segment time. Uh, segment time today, it's something I basically have no knowledge on no firsthand experience with but you do uh, intimately and that is sort of getting your pet integrated into this new baby lifestyle or maybe getting your baby integrated into your former pet lifestyle like fusing those two worlds yeah it's a crazy dynamic because the pet you know has his territory and feels like he's part of the family and now he's got this new person to accept and there seem to be a lot of steps involved in making that a smooth transition so yeah. i was going to ask you uh you have a dog isla and what in general or what specifically have you done to make that transition smoother for both of them it's been an interesting process for sure so the one thing you always read about when when you uh look into this topic is never leave your kid alone with the with the animal mm-hmm. or with, with any pet in general, but especially a dog. Uh, dogs are very jealous and they're very territorial. And so a new person in the house isn't seen as a family member. It's seen as a threat initially. You have to mm-hmm. kind of work them up to uh, accept them and understand the role changes that happen because dogs will automatically feel threatened by their their role change in the in the dynamic. Mm-hmm. So that's been kind of the trickiest part. Mm. It's a slow process getting a dog adapted. And any anytime you're training a dog, it's a slow process and you have to keep a routine going and you have to keep things consistent. And so that's kind of the tricky part and how you can get them work to, working together better. I'm super cautious with mm-hmm. I love my dog. She's the sweetest dog in the world but she is a dog. Mm -hmm. And so you have to cautiously get them more understanding of each other. The first day we brought Coda home and introduced him to Isla. I was, I was carrying him and kind of holding him. So I think that's, that's kind of the best way to go about it. Cause I think in our house, Isla sees me as kind of the, the top of the food chain in her Mm -hmm. mind. If, we do anything. I'm usually the one to take her for a walk or in the morning, I'm the first one to feed, get the food there and clean the pee pad in the house and take her outside. You also work from home. So you're there more often. Yeah. And I have much more presence here. And so I think it was important for her to see me holding Coda and then having her come over and Instantly, I noticed on the first day when I was holding, she came over and tried to sit right next to me like she mm-hmm. had always done, like saying like, oh, this is my spot. Mm-hmm. And so you have to let her do that, but slowly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it worked out well, but it's it's an ongoing process. For your specific case, what about Isla's personality and what kind of dog is she? 
Oh, yeah, I guess I should cover that. So she is a, what, an almost four-year-old Shetland sheepdog. Looks like Lassie. Yeah, she there. That breed is always called a miniature Lassie, basically. Okay. Um, so she's super sweet, high energy, very loud, <laughs> but very skittish. She's you've said this before. She's a bark is worse than the bite type of dog for sure. Mm-hmm. And uh, up until this point, she has hated kids. Mm. And so I've been especially cautious because I knew that. Like any time a kid comes in this house. She barks at them and tries to run away from them as fast as she can. Mm-hmm. And I think that's because the way they had her in the pet shop initially, mm-hmm. we bought her from this, it's called a home center, but the home center is basically like a giant Walmart. And then they have a pet section in the back that you can buy pets from. So we found mm-hmm. her there by chance and uh, she'd been there for eight months of her life. Wow. They don't give dogs a lot of interaction here in pet shops. It's pretty terrible. Mm -hmm. So in eight months of her life, she was in this little crate. They would take her out to put her into another crate to sleep. And there was just a giant window where kids would come up and bang on the glass. Yeah. And so that was her whole interaction with kids for most of her life Mm -hmm. until we got her. So understandably, she didn't like kids. But now bringing this new baby into the house, I think she's at least from the first couple days I've seen her, she's starting to, to not see Coda as that type of kid mm-hmm. I think because like he'll be crying and like we're waiting to feed him and holding him and he's just wailing and she just kind of comes over and sits by me and waits and doesn't bark or anything which is mm-hmm. completely unusual for her that's good I guess this is I mean obviously he's only a, a week and two days old so this is the youngest and smallest human being she's ever experienced yeah for sure so um, I wonder if that's changing something for her psychologically. Yeah, I think it has to. The only thing I know about uh, integrating pets and children is what I read in What to Expect the first year. Uh, they have a box. It's actually a two-page box on page 16 to 17. And I read through those, and there's a lot of bullet points about what you can do. And I thought I would ask you if you've done any of these or if you found these to be useful or useless. And okay. uh, just run down the list here. So the first thing they say you can do is um, to give your dog some new training ahead of time or to establish some new rules ahead of time, you know, whether it's like breaking them of their old routine or not allowing them in a certain part of the house or whatever, you can establish new rules. So did you try to do any like pre-training or new rules with Isla? Uh, No, not really. I think everything that we've trained her to do is acceptable regardless of if there's a kid in the house or not. So we didn't really have to detrain Mm-hmm. bad behavior out of her that's good and she's got her own zone of the house which is gated off as well so um it's yeah. not like she was you know living in a room that now she can't live in or something yeah i think even if you don't have kids in the house if you have a dog the dog always has to have a space that they can mm-hmm. feel is their own mm-hmm. otherwise they'll start taking over spaces some dogs might pee on spaces and that kind of thing so you always want to try to have like a dog zone that they can feel as their own. Uh, the next point, it seemed a bit overly cautious. I mean, maybe even to a fault or superfluous to me. Um, but this one says to take your dog for a checkup at the vet to make sure that the dog is okay in every conceivable way. Um, yeah. I thought, you know, if your dog seems fine and has had all his shots since it's okay, then it's just okay. And I didn't think a vet 
visit would be necessary specifically for this. But did you think about that or do that? We keep her up on her all of her shots regardless. And she just had a that visit um, a month ago, actually, just at her regular yearly visit. She got her shots. She got checkup done. Everything's fine. So did you discuss the new baby with the vet? No, not too much. No, it was more I had a concern about her because she had like a like a growth on the side of her. So I was more focused on that. <laughs> okay. That time. But yeah, it's definitely important to keep, keep, make sure the dogs keep up on their shots and it would be a good idea to get them in if you haven't for a while, for sure. Um, just because, you know, dogs can carry diseases that we don't know about it. Actually, one thing I found out like recently, our dog has been getting a coronavirus shot for years Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. It's just one of the shots they always give dogs. So if you go through and look at the list of the vaccine a dog gets, coronavirus is in there. (laughs) Wow. She had that rich only vaccine that came out (laughs) that uh, probably had the Bill Gates microchip in it. Uh, Your dog's like way ahead of the game. What about, did you do any trial runs with Isla? For example, this also seemed a bit strange to me in the book. It said like, have your friends' kids come over, or if you have access to a baby, you know, like carry the baby around <laughs> and see how the dog responds, which seems to me like there's a bit of a guinea pig situation. Like, sacrifice your I friend's baby instead of your own. Yeah. <laughs> like, hey, Justin, let me borrow your kid for the afternoon. <laughs> yeah, I want to see how he riles up my dog. Let's see if this bite makes any damage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want to test the jaw strength of my dog. <laughs> No, we didn't do any of that. We've had people come over with kids in the past, and she acts the same regardless of age of the kid or whose kid it is. She mm-hmm. does not like them. <laughs> All right. But I think somehow she could tell that Coda is our kid because she has not acted that way at all. That's interesting. There's another version of that, which is another bullet point, and um, this is to do like a trial run of a baby, but with no actual baby. And the ways you can accomplish this are to bring in a doll and carry a doll around or put a doll here or there where the baby's going to go. You could also play audio, for example, of a baby crying for a few minutes at a time just to see how the dog responds or to get the dog used to it. Um, You could turn on baby items, like if you have a battery-operated swing, you could turn that on to get the dog used to the sound of that or the motion of it. Also, you could use lotions or like uh, baby powder or certain wipes or whatever. You could wipe things down just to get the smells in the environment. So there are all manner of ways to sort of um, prep, you know, the things that will be changing about the dog's senses, you know, what the dog will be seeing, hearing, and smelling. Yeah. Um, did you try to do any of that to prep her? Kind of. I mean, this this is all kind of going into like exposure therapy methods. Mm-hmm. And I try to do this a lot with her with different things because she's really weird. Like she she hates people talking on a cell phone. So mm-hmm. if any anybody gets a phone call, she will instantly start barking and running around the living room like crazy. And so I tried to do that stuff with her a lot. And so with the baby stuff, I would, I wouldn't turn it on during the day, but we have it out. So it's been out in our living room for maybe like a month now, all set up and ready. Mm -hmm. So she's had time to kind of sniff through everything and kind of see new things. And same with our bedroom, like the cribs in there, all the stuff is in there. So she's had time to, it's not just suddenly like there's a baby and there's all this new baby stuff Mm -hmm. in that way we've done it. 
did you go into any deeper baby simulation? Like, as it said in the list, like about audio or um, I was thinking like maybe like putting baby lotion on your own hands or something like that. No, we didn't do any of that stuff. It doesn't seem like a bad idea. I think it depends on the type of dog and their personality. Maybe yeah. some dogs would respond to that a little better. I don't think Isla would have responded to that very well. For her, anytime you play a, a toy or something, it's just a noise coming out of a thing. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. without the baby there to back up why the thing's on for her, she would just be like, get this annoying thing off and bark at it. The next one on the list, it seemed a bit cruel, and it was acknowledged in the book as being a bit cruel feeling, but it said, you're going to have a baby in the house and that's going to take up a lot of your time. And therefore your pet is going to have less of your time and attention. So one thing you can do is uh, beforehand reduce pet time or reduce attention time to get your dog a bit more acclimated to spending mm. less time with you. So did you do anything like that? Did you coldly turn your shoulder to Isla? Not coldly turn my shoulder, but I would spend more time out of the house and I reduced the number of walks we went on. And was that purposeful just for, for this reason? Or was that because you had a lot of stuff to do just for baby? No, that was, that was purposeful. I had that whole week while Moe was in the hospital where I could kind of do whatever I wanted, basically. But I took that time to get Isla acclimated to me not giving her as much attention. You didn't notice any reaction from Isla? She just thought, oh, Mark's out of the house or no change? She, she gets needy. She's definitely a, the type of dog that wants to be next to you all the time. So whatever mm -hmm. room you're in, if the door's closed, she wants to be in that room. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of times where I would just go outside where, and she was in the house so she could just see me from the window, but I wouldn't have her come out with me or mm -hmm. any of that. That's good. seems like toughen her up even just in that last week to get her a bit more acclimated. It's like one yeah. less change once the baby yeah. arrives. Uh, this one, the time would have already passed, and I'm sure you did this just kind of by default, but it says to expose the pet to the pregnant belly and that some animals will show a sign or, you know, some <laughs> instinct level understanding that there's about to be a new baby just based on the big pregnant belly. So I guess Isla had some belly time. Yeah, I think Isla, I think Moe was pretty good about that with Isla. She was always sitting with her or making sure Isla was there around the belly. Mm -hmm. I don't think Isla understood any of that. <laughs> yeah. Isla never had like a very deep gaze at the belly that lasted for minutes where it seemed she no. was understanding. <laughs> no. Okay. Next up, it says the house setup. And I think you've established that you did this, but uh, if you do need to have off limits areas, if you do need to, like say change where the food goes because your kid will be crawling in that area someday, the food and water dish or just anything yeah. that you're going to do different in the house. I think you've established that from a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's all been set up. Isla's always had her own area. That's got a full gate on it. If we want, we can just close her in there and then she feels safe if there's another kid running around. So we've done that in the past. Okay, cool. This one's interesting to me, and it's something I guess you could be doing right now, uh, especially in these first couple of days, but it's to let Isla smell baby-worn clothes uh, to get her a bit more acclimated to the presence of this kid. Yeah, we do that. We do that. Actually, they say a good thing to do is to not break any habits or treat the, the dog differently after you have a kid. Mm -hmm. And so 
a lot of what I'll do if I'm feeding Coda, then I'll have Isla come over and sit by me on the floor or sit by me on the bench. Because that's what would happen anyway. If I was just eating myself, Isla would just come over and sit with me wherever I was. So I, I try to keep that routine established. Mm-hmm. And then in that way, like Isla's able to get more of the scent. And then mm-hmm. when I'm done feeding, usually Isla will come over and sniff me, sniff my hands and make sure like everything's cool. It gets mm-hmm. a lot of that baby smell from that. That's good. So again, is that something like that you're actively doing or is that something that just happens as a matter of course that Isla's going to come over and sniff you anyway so now she's getting that baby smell too it's a bit of both I think initially it was like I had to call her over Mm -hmm. because she was a little cautious like what are you holding yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) but now she's she's understanding she'll come over on her own she'll sit by me like last night I was doing a lot of the feedings and we have a chair set up in the room and as soon as I sit down she just comes over and circles once and sits. Yeah, good. And that leads right into the next bullet point, which is, I mean, it's basically the same thing exactly. It says to include the pet in the baby stuff, whether it's, yeah, the feeding and then the the Mm. dog can be by your side for that. Or if you take the baby out for a walk, then you combine that with the pet's walk time as well. Yeah. Have you taken the baby out of the house yet or are you just hunkered down? I'm ready to. They have a weird don't go anywhere for a month policy in Japan where you're not Mm -hmm. supposed to like take the baby outdoors. Mm -hmm. And so I'm leaving that decision entirely up to Moe when she feels comfortable with it. I've told her I'm ready to go out today. Yeah. If she wants to go put the baby in a stroller and head out and walk the dog, I'm fine with that. My thinking on that, I don't have like any of the uh, scientific backing for this, but you know, the thing they say you need sunlight exposure every day for vitamin D production. Yeah, like your your body produces its own vitamin D, but it takes sunlight to activate yeah. that process. And I've heard in the past that it's really like ten minutes of sunlight exposure in a day will allow your body to produce all the vitamin D that you need. And I don't know if babies are exactly in that same zone. I was just looking this up, and I can't remember where I read it, but I read somewhere that it, they said five minutes is the limit for a newborn. But oh, okay, it's, it's good to have about five minutes. That's nice. And uh, again, you can't really lay how you feel and then like just layer that onto the baby and like, oh, the baby must be feeling this exact same way because I, a 38 year old man, am feeling this way. (laughs) But if I sit in the house for all of the daylight hours, which I often do, then (laughs) I end up feeling like kind of like garbage around sunset. And I think it's that my body's like shouting out to me, like, you missed your chance, you idiot. You need to be outside a little bit. So I'll, you know, I try to make it a point to get outside. And I thought the baby must have something like that, especially if it's literally a month where the baby's had no sunlight exposure. There must be something that the baby would be lacking in that case. So we do, um, you know, I can't remember exactly the week when we took the kid out for the first time. Mm. But we do try to walk, you know, if it's as simple as going out the front door and walking around your own house or something. I mean, that's a few Mm. minutes of exposure. So we try to do that and we get in the stroller sometimes and take a walk around the block. uh, And we've been trying to be active with that. That's good. But your Isla walks, what's the average length of a, a walk with the dog? It ranges from a kilometer to like two and a half kilometers depending on the weather. So you could do um, like baby plus dog for a few minutes, then bring the baby back, then continue on with the dog or something. Yeah, there's a lot of different routes around here. We have a lot of rice field roads that are 
branching. So you can easily turn a five minute walk into a 30 minute walk. Uh, one thing that does put me off about it a bit. I mean, we're at the perfect season right now. It's been, you know, like March into April. Uh, mm. It's not super hot. It's uh, and there aren't a lot of mosquitoes around. It's like right. the insects haven't come out in full force yet. So you can go outside with very little fear. Uh, we do have several trees around our property, and I've noticed like in the Mekon tree, there are always a bunch of gnats and little flies oh. buzzing around. So we have right. to walk by that tree, and I'm on high alert. I'm like trying mm. to, you know, keep the baby away from it, shield his little face. Uh, so that is a bit of a worry, and I would, yeah, oh, that's going to drive me crazy if you see like a, a mosquito land on your baby's forehead. That's going to be Dude, unnerving. Yeah, I've thought about this before. You can buy nets that go over. This is probably too much. <laughs> I think uh-huh. this this falls into maybe the helicopter parent or overparenting. <laughs> but like they have nets that you can put over your stroller to encase it. <laughs> oh, them, yeah. Keep them mosquito free. And I've already yeah. thought about getting some. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's. I feel like it's a good idea. I mean, you live out near a lot of rice fields, which are essentially standing water. Yeah, in the next month or two, it's literally going to be like lake season. <laughs> yeah, and that's mosquito breeding grounds. Like, I don't yeah. know how you step out of your house yourself as an adult. Like, it must be mosquito Dude, actually, central out there. We don't get that many here. It's always got a nice breeze. So maybe that has something to do with it. Or maybe like the balance of bug to mosquito ratio is enough where they're being eaten before they come to our house. Yeah. We don't actually see them unless we get like right next to the Tombow or something. So it's fine. That's good. Well, the last thing on the list here, um, and I don't believe you're at this stage yet, but the book recommends supervised visits, like heavily supervised visits between your animal and your baby, uh, where you do just kind of say, okay, here's the baby. Here's the dog. Go at it. Give him a sniff, figure it out. Uh, and I guess you're not at that phase yet. Well, I think it depends. I think that is talking more about like putting the baby on the ground and then letting the dog kind of walk around him. Mm -hmm. That's my assumption. Mm -hmm. In that case, no, definitely not. Yeah. But I mean, when I'm holding Coda, Isla definitely comes up. So Isla's like, you know, 10 centimeters away from him and has definitely like sniffed his feet and his diaper, mm-hmm. figuring out like, oh, where's that strange smell coming from? So we do that kind of exposure with her, mm-hmm. and that's been fine. Kind of easing into it, eh? Easing into it. Well, the last thing, uh, there are a couple of don'ts in the book. One of them says, don't take chances, and that's good common sense advice. Mm, for sure. Uh, an- another don't says, don't let, uh, especially a dog, don't let the dog get into stuff that is the baby stuff. So for example, if you have a playpen or a baby bed, don't like put the dog in it and let him roll around or don't give all of the baby toys to the dog and let the dog like sniff or play with them because then you get into sort of, well, for one, there are fur problems and that the dog's fur is then all over baby stuff and you could have an allergy issue. Um, But then there's also territory problems where the dog thinks all that stuff is the dog's and now suddenly it's thrown over to the baby. So, That was a big don't. Have you been cautious about that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. The hair issue is impossible with our dog because she sheds year round and Mm -hmm. it's like long hair. So Mm -hmm. you'll do anything, go out of the house and you'll find a random hair. Other than that, though, 
Isla's really good about knowing what's hers and what isn't hers because of how we interact with it with her. So mm-hmm. we've had all the baby stuff out for a month. She's not the type of dog that will just go in and start like rooting around and grabbing stuff. Mm-hmm. She won't go near something unless we tell her it, it's okay for her to do it. Mm-hmm. Like every time we buy a toy, we have to integrate it with an older toy so that she knows like, oh, okay, this is a toy for me. I can play with this. Otherwise, mm. she'll just kind of leave it on the floor and never touch it. Mm. And then she's also got her penned in area. And I guess like her things are kept there. So yeah. she must have a sense of her, her yeah, territory. And her, her possessions. stuff is in her place. So it doesn't get integrated with any of the other stuff. Yeah, that's very handy. It's great that you designed your place like that. We've talked about it before that mm. you really overhauled your house. And then you gave her maybe like a half room size uh, pin. I gave her the old bathrooms. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like a Turkish bath in there. <laughs> I was lounging in a jacuzzi. If only. If only. Yeah. So it's probably in the Japanese way, like a sort of standard, say, smallish room would be six tatami mat size. She's probably got like a four tatami mat size or something. Yeah, I guess it. Nah, maybe three, three to four, three and a half. Yeah, it's pretty. I mean, it's a good size in Japan for what you would give a dog. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I think if uh, we're talking like American home standards, then it's a decent dog size space. Well, uh, that's the list. So uh, that's more than I'll ever need to know about pets. I don't think we'll have a pet. Ever? No plans? I don't, the wife's got a pretty heavy cat allergy, so... Oh, yeah, I do too. Cats are out the window. Not literally. We haven't thrown cats out the window. but Well, they'll land. They'll land on their feet. They'll be fine. <laughs> totally fine. But a dog, the thing that holds us back is that we like to travel to the U.S. for extended periods if we can, say, three weeks or a month at a time. And then yeah. we feel like, and we try to do that every year. I mean, pre-corona anyway, we were doing that. Mm. Uh, and it seems like a huge task with the with the dog. What I've wanted is for the grandparents here in Japan to get a, like a lap dog, mm. like a little uh, Shih Tzu or something, maybe right. a calm Shih Tzu. Then the, the kid can get exposure. And it seems like a big draw to go to the grandparents' house. Mm. You know, often the grandparents' house seems boring or something like they don't have my toys and right. there's no sofa. I can't lay down and they watch TV shows that I don't like and that sort of thing. So if they mm-hmm. had a dog to play with, then the kid would be loving it and he would get that valuable pet exposure. So I've yeah. been behind the scenes pushing for the grandparents to, <laughs> to get the dog and uh, they don't travel as much. And, you know, they're well, one of them's half retired and sort of a thing. So I think they could devote the time and attention to a little dog. I don't want to disparage any dog breeds or anything, but I would push them away from getting any like toy poodles or shih tzus or anything that's, I don't know, they're not temperamentally the best around kids Mm -hmm. is what I've found. We've got in the family, we've got uh, a couple of shih tzus. Well, one has come and gone, but there's another Mm. shih tzu still hanging around. And they had really sweet shih tzus. They were brother and sister, you know, from different litters, I guess. Uh, And maybe it's just the temperament of those dogs in particular, that little family tree. But uh, they were very sweet. But yeah, if I could get a small, non-yappy, non-excitable dog. Yeah. And <laughs> not at my house, but at the in-laws. <laughs> buy, that's the dream scenario. Well, that's a Christmas gift waiting to happen then. Oh, man. I could just make it happen. 
that's the perfect plan. I got you a dog for me. Yeah. <laughs> I'll come by once a month. See him. You foot the bills. Oh, they live on the same block as a vet as well. So oh, it's perfect. It takes care of itself. They're right next door to a park. It's totally yeah. perfect. Yeah. Uh, the only trouble is, or maybe this is a good thing, is that I already pawned off a cat onto the great grandmother years ago. <laughs> They'll see it coming then. <laughs> yeah, they, they've seen this play before. <laughs> I found a kitten who was helpless and he was in the oh. street. And so I sort of took him home and my wife's uh, cat allergy would not let it stand. Uh. But then we were tasked with getting rid of this kitten in a responsible way. So uh, the grandmother, to the, you know, my wife's grandmother, the great grandmother took it mm. and it's been great up in the mountains. Uh, this cat has his run of a mountain yeah, and uh, he catches mice in the barn and everything. He's been mm. a really good cat, you know, a cat that we don't have to take care of. I wouldn't be opposed to getting a cat someday. I think they're useful, but I like my couch intact and yeah. I have a lot of wood posts that I don't want to get scratched. Yeah. Any shoji, that's a thing of the past. Oh, yeah. Cattle rip right through that. Yeah. I don't want to repair that again. Those are a pain in the ass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but so helpful out in the countryside. Yeah. That sounds like a wrap on the pet segment today. And mm. um, I've got a my question for you is. I feel like they've all been my question for you today. Here's another question in our long string of my question for you is, so you were obviously mentally preparing and, you know, actually preparing your house for this baby. Mm. Uh, and so that means you had an expectation of what it was going to be. And now uh, two days in, I was going to ask what's sort of the biggest difference or something that you thought was going to work some way and absolutely has not worked out that way. Uh, something that you may have, something you bought that you didn't need, something you planned schedule wise that has just not gone to schedule since the baby's moved in. Uh, I don't know. After two days, everything's kind of working out well. We thankfully had a lot of uh, the ability to kind of see what to and not to do with you guys. Mm -hmm. And so we planned a lot of our stuff around what was working and not working for you. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. We were a good trial run. <laughs> yeah, everything so far has been good. We have kind of a, a split sleeping arrangement where he's got like a playpen crib downstairs that he sleeps during the day and then an actual crib upstairs in the bedroom. And so far he's taken to both of them really well. As soon as we put him in either one, he's, he's pretty out until a feeding time. Yeah, I can't think of anything that's that's not been what we planned to use it for. Some stuff we've got that's just like we can't use it for six months yet. So, yeah. so we've got a stash <laughs> that's not being used. But I think it'll I think they'll be useful. One thing I was actually really surprised that worked well yesterday we started using it was these little toys that make sounds. And it's like this it's got like a white noise sound, like a heartbeat sound soft mm -hmm. like melody lullaby music sounds and we put those on in his playpen downstairs and his crib upstairs and every time we've put those on he's been out so i'm super happy that we have those because that that was a lifesaver i think it makes sense with the heartbeat thing especially you know he spent uh nine months with yeah. a certain background noise and now it's all different and when he hears something like the white noise or the heartbeats you imagine mm. like 
he's thinking, oh, this is what I'm used to. And it must yeah. be soothing on some level for him. Actually, oh, one thing I noticed, clothing. We mm-hmm. did not buy the right size clothing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he doesn't have anything that fits him yet. <laughs> <laughs> Everything is just a little too floppy and long so far. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's amazing how quickly they go through it because now our kid is uh, just shy of two months and we're already sort of setting aside his newborn stuff in favor of his three month to six month stuff because you start to notice that the newborn stuff, it's like hard to get all the snaps snapped that used to be really easy to snap. And uh, it's like, this can't be comfortable if it's like, you know, (laughs) like shoving his diaper up too far and it's like compacting everything. So, yeah, we've already started setting things aside. Andy's got, uh, like, the clothes he came home from in the hospital in, his formal wear, which he's had to wear <laughs> two or three times to various ceremonies. Um, it's like they're high waters on him now. Like, the the <laughs> legs come up to his calves now. And it's like, well, yeah, you're a grown boy. So it's amazing how quickly that stuff does change over. Interesting. And how you have a pile of clothes that are say like three to six months and you're like, yeah, well, these are useless. <laughs> and then you need them. What feels like immediately and your tune changes on it. But uh, yeah, we're really happy to get into the bigger stuff now. I noticed when we were using the swaddle with him recently, like you were saying before, like your kid loves to be swaddled, mm-hmm. like put his little arms in there, wrap him up like a burrito and he's happy. Mm-hmm. It's the opposite with coda like he needs Uh his arms free and flailing if you try to swaddle him in those he is grumpy (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah we've noticed it we've got the ergo baby which is like the harness that the baby sits in and you wear Mm. it on your chest and that thing it's a unique position because his legs have to poke out the sides and it's like this complicated harness mechanism but once he gets in there, you know, it's a, he's a bit fussy at first, but once he gets in there, it's so warm and it's so mm. kind of bouncy because you're walking around. He's fussy for about two minutes and then he's asleep from minute three. He just wow. is like, oh, no, this is pretty good. So there may be some like acclimatizing that you can do or something. But um, hmm. yeah, but it does say in the book, actually, that some kids hate the swaddle from the beginning, never get used to the swaddle. Mm. Uh, but man, if they do. I've, I've seen him asleep before when he's swaddled and he gets that little like, uh, uh, and you can tell he tries to move. And then he's like, oh, I can't move back to sleep. <laughs> and it's like, oh, no swaddle. I would have been uh, picking him up and carrying him around and trying to get him back down. But um, yeah. the swaddles like pay dividends if you can nice. get him into it. I guess a nice step between the full swaddle and the like no swaddle at all is that sort of outfit, uh, that, which you have a few of, it's like got a hood and you, you mm. know, lay one piece of fabric across them and another piece with a piece of Velcro and it's got two legs. You can yeah. slide his legs into those. It's like a pseudo swaddle. Yeah, he does like those quite a bit. That's good. And I'll take those sometimes and wrap them up. Even if the Velcro doesn't extend that far, I'll just wrap it up a mm. bit more tightly to make it a swaddle, basically. Nice. And uh, that's a good like halfway step you can get them into it i think there's just enough time for some japanese of the day so let's do that what have you got for us japanese of the day today is a katakana word that doesn't apply perfectly in the english like a lot of katakana words don't um and it is the word gaze 
it's like a extended ga with a ze at the end and it's the katakana word for gauze um gauze. we've talked about this mm. a little bit in the past and that when i hear the word gauze i think of episodes of er yeah. where someone comes in with a brutal injury <laughs> and they wrap them up with gauze but yeah. gauze in japanese gaze is used for what i would say it's maybe not limited to but i would say is the cloth called muslin like a very light uh, cloth that you're going to see in a lot of burp cloths or the sort mm-hmm. of little towel that you put over the baby when you drop them into the bath you'll hear this word gauze over and over again and it doesn't mean medical supply right so uh, i was asking my wife about this earlier today like what do we actually say or what do you search for on amazon if you need to find these little uh burp cloths which in english i looked up they do say burp cloth <laughs> um but uh, in japanese you might see gauze handkerchief mm. for that which in japanese and katakana it's gaze hankachi um mm. you can find gauze towels you can find what's called a gaze ketto the ketto comes from blanket uh so like you know there's the popular towel kit which is like a, a towel blanket hybrid or a blanket made out of a towel material so towel ketto is popular in japan there's also gaze mm-hmm. ketto but uh gaze works its way into many things and it generally means a very thin cloth that you'll often find in baby goods mm. so that's the japanese of the day gaze yeah it's pretty confusing that word with katakana there's often a word that you know in katakana it mimics an english word but defines something different and uh that's always hard to get used to so that's it for japanese of the day and that's it for our episode Thank you for listening. We hope this week's episode was informative and interesting. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us either on Twitter at jpopspodcast or by email at info at Talk to you next time. Later.